If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, one. Everybody, this would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. I'm Jeff. That's Tom. Thanks so much for watching on War Chant TV. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you're listening on 93.3 Real Talk Radio. Thank you so much. And on Twitter, it's at Jay Cameron Show. So we had to do something different today. I'll get, get it out of the way early. I guess technically we're supposed to legally bring this up. This is a recorded hour of radio that you're listening to. Uh, Tom and myself doing this uh, this morning, Friday morning, where we head on over to the uh, spring football luncheon for Florida State. And it's exciting, you know, because this is this, you know, we kickstart spring football today. And we've had a good opportunity to preview positions and uh, segment groups throughout the week. And we've also, uh, last two weeks, really, and then, of course, uh, had a couple coaches on this past week. So that's a good thing. You can go catch up on all of that on warchant.com. And then, uh, in addition, today, we'll hear from Coach Norvell. He'll address the assembled media, talk about uh, expectations, talk about uh, the good, the bad, and everything in between. Mostly good, I would think, um, as they had a really good tour of duty. I, I think Coach Storms kind of relayed that, Tom, that they were really pleased with the vast majority of the guys, including returners who helped lead the way. And, then, of course, the young guys coming in and uh, a lot of saucer-eyed young men as they get set to Go to work and 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 go to work on what is an incredibly important season. Um, this is uh, we you know we talked about it at length yesterday. I thought yesterday's Jeff Cameron show, while they're always great, were was particularly great in the second hour yesterday, uh, where Tom and I were able to have kind of a lengthy discussion regarding uh, the long term future of uh, Mike Norvell, his staff, the building of a program, Florida State's efforts to get back amongst the nation's elite, where they have not been residing in a long time. Uh, this year goes a long way in helping, I guess, clear the picture 
as to whether that is possible, whether that's something that will happen with or without Mike Norvell, quite frankly, and um, whether or not we should be excited about a season that features um, right off the bat a cool game in New Orleans against LSU that will prove pivotal to the season to go along with a bunch of games against veteran-laden teams with quarterbacks that have played an awful lot of college football. So they're in for a challenge, but they've upgraded the roster. And today begins the opportunity for us to really evaluate that roster position by position to look at exactly who's what. And, uh, you know, I think, Tom, we've taken turns in the last three weeks as we've built up to spring football talking about the segment groups we're most excited to see because of the new names. Uh, I think most people would circle the wide receiving core and say, how big an impact are those guys going to have and how soon will they have it? I think we both agree that Winston Rice is probably the guy that immediately comes in and will have a huge impact. I think he's a plug-and-play guy. He's experienced. He's played a ton of college football at the Power 5 level. He's been good. Uh, so, you know, he's been productive uh, coming in from West Virginia. So right off the bat, you got a guy there that you trust. And then from there, we have known commodities and some guys that came on at the end of last year, like Malik McLean. But then we have other guys from that transfer portal that haven't played a ton of football, but whose names now we're all familiar with. Deuce Span and Wilson and Micah Pittman and those guys, you know, we want to see how quickly they can get acclimated and get out there and help upgrade this offensive attack. Because Jordan Travis, while we're counting on him to be better, really needs a lot of help. We think they've helped him on the offensive line. Have they helped him an awful lot with the wide receiving core? I think the offensive backfield is lacking. I don't think they're dynamic at running back. We'll see if Benson is going to be a huge upgrade for them or not. Um, it may just be the Treshawn Ward show. I don't know, but uh, I think they're going to have to really sling the ball around and rely on Jordan Travis's legs, but you'd like to find some balance there. Yeah, well, that's the key word is balance because what that does is it offers opportunities for guys to be in one-on-ones and not just the receivers because I would think early on in the season, most defenses are going to challenge the receivers in one-on-one and Jordan Travis by extension in one-on-one and say, prove it, prove it that you can beat us. But if you do prove that, then running backs are going to be in isolation where they only need to make one dude miss instead of three guys that are around the line of scrimmage. And, and that'll be fun. Uh, but there was a question yesterday in the chat, just what you're talking about with the receivers. And we didn't get to it, but it was, um, who do you think out of the three receivers, and, and Deuce was not included in this question, is going to have the biggest impact? Is it Winston Wright? Is it Pittman? Or is it Johnny Wilson? Because I, I think there's a couple of ways to approach that, but I would assume your answer would be Winston Wright would be, the guy who's going to have the biggest impact? Yeah, it would be because I don't think it will take him nearly as long to get adjusted uh, to life in the ACC and, and the speed of the game and maybe even the offense. He's a very veteran player. You know, this is a guy that understands concepts and has executed them in a game repeatedly against Power 5 competition, whereas Micah Pittman, Pittman hasn't, Wilson hasn't, um, you know, Deuce Span certainly hasn't. Uh, I know you, you didn't include him in the list, but – no, those guys, those guys haven't. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, there's any doubt that it's it's right. So here's the thing. I think I could make a case for Pittman because of the hidden yards that you would gain by simply catching a punt and or returning one for, God forbid, three to ten yards, you know, every once in a while. Because how many yards would that have been worth across how many different games for Florida State in terms of field position last year? I mean, not just at the turnovers. We had turnovers and muffed punts, and that killed the Florida game, and it put the Syracuse game in doubt when we were up 10 points, 30 to 20. But also with flipping field position, neutralizing the field position battle. And then if Micah Pittman offers you 
30 catches or 35 catches, he might be somebody who has a significant impact, even though on the pecking order of the receivers lists this upcoming season, he might be fourth or fifth in catches. That's what I get interested in, too. Is And you, that's one thing, unfortunately, that we're not going to know all the way until the season. Because when they do special teams work in spring camp or fall camp, usually there's no contact. There's really no gunning and blocking and things like that. Not even in the spring game do they make return units live. Um, and certainly we lo- we see a lot of special teams work in practices in, in fall camp last year, and it didn't do a damn bit of good for this team. So you're always going to have a John Desai until you see it on the field. But Micah Pittman could have a really significant impact in two phases of the game, not just one phase of the game. Let's hope. I mean, I certainly understand the case that you make there because of the hidden yards with special teams that Florida State lost every week last year. Every game, it was a nightmare. And it wasn't just that you were losing yardage uh, and they weren't hidden. I was right. That's right there, obviously, to see for everybody. But uh, I would say that uh, it's not just that. It's that every time a punt went in the air, we actually feared that not only would it not be caught, but that if it was attempted to be caught, it would be dropped. So there really was no faith in anybody back there. And they tried a bunch of different people and it just never worked. And it was really frustrating. I got to a point where I think everybody back there was domed up. Uh, they were not, you know, because they screwed it up a couple of times, then they were told, whatever you do, don't drop a punt. You know, you can't drop a punt. We're going to lose a game if you drop a punt, which they're right. You would. I don't know. Psychologically, that's the best way to go about it. But at some point, they the kids just kind of went in doubt, ran away from the football. And you cannot get more uh, timid on a football field than to run away from a football out of fear. Uh, it is it's something to behold, and we had to see it every week last year. So that was uh, that was something. Well, and also, uh, how about running full speed if you're going to return a kick? That that would be a good thing instead of tiptoeing and waiting like your Le'Veon Bell in the backfield on second and seven playing for the Steelers five or six years ago. You know, just yeah. full head of steam. And I think Winston Wright could actually help in that regard as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the receivers that are going to head the list. What I find interesting too. And this was remarked on by multiple people on our staff from the tour of duty workouts that we saw on Tuesday. Lawrence Toafili looks the part like he looks like there has been development in the offseason. And of course, we know he's explosive and, and they devised a lot of stuff for him in the fall camp last year because he's one of those players that if you get him in space, he can change the scoreboard in one play. And I don't know that we have a ton of those in our backfield. It's not to say that Trayshawn Ward can't break a 20 or 30 yard run, but I don't know that he's going to hit his head on the goalpost the way Lawrence Toafili could. Number nine could be a game changer for this group. I understand he would be considered maybe a long shot behind Benson or, or Ward certainly first and then Benson. But don't count out Lawrence Toafili because by the end of the season, it looked like there was a little bit more before the injury happened in Clemson. It looked like there was more confidence in his game. He didn't play with confidence at all in September. But if you give that type of an athlete confidence and also the patience that comes with confidence, the vision. Remember what happened with Cam Akers in the back end of his freshman year here. It can change things. They can look like completely different football players. And if that becomes the case, then you have a two or three headed monster where, where you don't replace Corbin completely. But then you have a group that you feel at least comfortable enough with with Jordan Travis in, in the read option game. So the offense could get fun real fast, but you need a couple of people to prove themselves, I guess is my point. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I don't I don't view Lawrence Toafili as uh, a difference maker in terms of uh, being dynamic enough to change games consistently. You're right. He he's he's the fastest of the bunch, so um, he has the best chance to to make big plays. I I think that's an area that frustrates me, frankly. Um, we'll see what kind of step forward Lawrence Toafili makes, but 
I don't understand how, and it's been this way for a while with Florida State, how we we don't have receivers or running backs that change games. It's just, uh, <laughs> I'd say it's it's part of that overall level of frustration that Florida State fans feel. Um, there's no escaping uh, a, a pass that features so many good players at those two positions. And then I think the other part of that is that, you know, I think most college football fans, you know, you look at, I'll give you an example. College football fans understand that if there's a lineman in the draft coming out of Iowa, you should take him. Pretty much you should take him. He's probably going to be pretty good. Well, you'd like to believe that if there's an athlete coming out of the state of Florida, you know, that can really run receiver, running back, whatever it might be, defensive back, whatever, you'd go, you know what, I'm going to trust that that kid's really fast. I'm going to trust that that kid's dynamic athletically. He comes from the South. And and you know what? The South has produced an awful lot of good football players. And then you watch Florida State and you go, eh. (laughs) So it's really frustrating, you know? Yeah, at receiver and tight end, I'd agree. But I thought Corbin changed a couple of games last year. And and the thing is, we don't necessarily know how explosive some of these guys can be. I, I hear you when you look at them. They don't look like, say, 2014's roster, right? Or 2013's roster where you've got Devonta Freeman and, and Dalvin Cooks waiting in the wings later, but James Wilder Jr. Like These people look a little bit different. But if you had an offensive line that can generate a push where you can get three or four yards when you expect yeah. to get three or four yards, then it sets up those explosive plays all the more. Like That's where I'm the optimist here is – if you looked at the PFF grades or you just used your eyes, last year you knew down for down when you needed a yard, you needed to trick them in order to get a yard. Oh, you needed a wildcat or some nonsense in order to create an isolation. And or if you didn't block it up, Jason Corbin had to use incredible vision and will to get over that line to gain on a fourth and one at our own 38-yard line. That sucked. That was hard to do. But they also devised a lot of explosive plays. So what happens if you can, generally speaking, against a middle-of-the-road ACC team, and there are a lot of those in this conference, actually win the line of scrimmage half the time, 40% of the time? What do the numbers look like for those running backs if you can create those situations? Because now I think you're in a position where you could see a running back have 15 carries in this offense and run for 120, and the YPC is not because of one big play. It's because you have sustained success and a couple of big plays to go along with it. That's where I'm withholding judgment because the O-line has been worse than average for a long, long time. What happens if they actually in the interior are okay to pretty good? Well, now you're changing the ball game and you're changing the way you can call the ball game and those stats are going to follow. And maybe you see the graphics that say this guy's a game changer and you you might believe it. Well, you're, you're actually describing a path, I think, to Florida State having and maximizing their talent, having the ability to get to eight, maybe nine wins. You're, that's the path you're describing because I still think it's got to be more ball control. Uh, I think it still has to – you have to have the ability to put together and sustain drives, uh, especially against middling teams, because I don't believe this defense is going to be better this year than it was last year in the second half of the season. I don't think you lose the ACC Defensive Player of the Year And just because you have an abundance of players in the back end of the defense and some serviceable players on the front end of the defense that you really can replace that player. Jermaine Johnson changed football games against good teams and they really couldn't, there wasn't a lot they could do with him. It was remarkable. They had to, a lot of teams like halfway through their game would have to deploy more resources just to slow him down. I don't think anybody's going to have to do that necessarily this year. Anyhow, 
against Jared Verse, and I doubt they'll have to do it against Briggs. We'll see. I, I hope I'm wrong about that, by the way. But but I think those guys will be decent. I think the linebacking court is better, but I do think you take a step back in being able to pressure the passer. So that doesn't necessarily bode well. Uh, at least up to this point, we haven't seen a defense as uh, authored by Adam Fuller that gets um, you know a lot of stops against uh, against the passing game. So the offense needs to control the ball a little bit more, have more sustained success, and it begins with that offensive line being better, like you're talking about, and the ability to line up and run the football in short yarded situations and not have to trick people, uh, which then later on opens up for some big plays and gives you more versatility. We didn't have a lot of versatility in the second half of the season offensively. Uh, It was if Jordan Travis doesn't play, you lose. If Jordan Travis plays and he doesn't run around a lot, you probably lose. So there was, (laughs) there was a lot of that, you know, our, our, our center was on roller skates last year in the second half of the season. I don't think that'll be the case this year. So yeah, I, I think you're right. What you just described is the path to a better offense, uh, sustainability and protection for a defense. Well, and, and to make the argument for you to return to the offense here, this is why you would praise Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham often last year, because if you just lay it out there, you don't have a receiver that can win a one-on-one. This is the back half of the season. You don't like what you have at center. Injury, whatever reason, you don't like it. Your left guard, who's your best offensive lineman, is hurt, and he's playing through it, at least for most of those games. You don't like what you have at one of the tackle positions. You don't have a, a tight end. That's a difference maker in an offense that really would take advantage of a tight end or an H back in as a difference maker. And you have a quarterback and a couple of decent running backs who can run around, but not throw the football. It can Jordan Travis, at least not consistently. And yet, and yet with all of those things, they would score in the upper twenties or lower thirties. Like I get like, so if you say that, and now we have material upgrades to the offensive line, at least the interior of it. And we like one of the tackles. And now you have, maybe over under all set two and a half receiving options that you like coming into the fall. You take a bit of a step back at running back, but you like the scheme. And then you've got a quarterback who hopefully develops, but even if he stays exactly the same, has more balance around him and you already scored in the mid to upper twenties on average. And sometimes you touch into the thirties with ease with Jordan Travis. Okay. I can see where this offense is building to a place where it can control the clock. It can control the game and put you in a position in the fourth quarter to close it out. The question is, on defense, who is that extra defensive end? Let's assume that Jared Verse is a, a replacement-level player or above replacement. Not ACC, all ACC, not ACC defensive player of the year, but let's just say he's pretty good. Who is that second guy on the defensive line who can close drives for you? Because if there isn't one, then you've got to commit more bodies to attack the quarterback, and this is the balance of the game that goes back and forth. And my number one concern, defensively speaking, and it has been for a long time, is coverage over the middle of the field. How are you going to account for that? Is it Jamie Robinson and another safety? Um, is Tatum Bethune better at covering guys over the middle than our previous linebacker iterations? Has Kalen Deloach taken another step? Because these are all the things, these are the the intangibles. Well, they're tangible. These are the little things that you need to stack together in order to get to eight or nine wins, and we'll see. But it all starts tomorrow. Yeah, it starts tomorrow, and uh, it's also why, again, that we're recording this hour this morning. Next hour, by the way, we'll be live, live in studio. You'll see us, but uh, this hour, this first one is recorded so that we could get over to the luncheon. We could be at the press conference for Mike Norvell. We could ask coaches questions, glean something from it in, uh, you know, obviously as we could set 
uh, to to embark on uh, spring pro- football, which I'm excited about, by the way. Uh, Orange Theory Fitness, my friends, partners at Orange Theory Fitness, if you want to have more life, right? Make it the summer of more life. It's coming up soon enough, the spring, summer. It's a good time of year to get in shape, good time of year to feel better on a daily basis, to track your progress, uh, and to do so uh, with science-based um, workouts that you will guarantee to see uh well, not only improvements in your physio, but your body will change and you'll feel better. And everybody wants to do that. Orange Theory Fitness, two locations in Tallahassee, one in Midtown, one on the north side out there by Kalarn. Uh, go to orangetheoryfitness.com to learn more or walk in and say you want to get a workout in because the first one's always free. And that'll let you know everything you need to know about Orange Theory Fitness. Chef Cameron Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV continues in a moment. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Jeff Cameron, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, Warchant TV on a libations Friday, somewhat loosey-goosey. We're kind of serious, too. More serious than we normally are. If only because on Fridays. If only because, uh, again, previewing a little Florida State football at the luncheon and then uh, getting set for uh, practice to begin tomorrow. Should be a beautiful day for it. It's been a beautiful week. It's been a beautiful couple weeks. So that's uh, that's always good. I want to get out there and watch these guys get after it without having to worry about inclement weather or uncomfortable weather. And that's exactly what they're going to have is, uh, is the good stuff. Uh, hey, really quickly, I want to touch on this, Tom, because I think it tells you what you need to know. Uh, Florida State's contracts were released for Coach Atkins, a uh, significant bump uh, in pay for him uh, and, and others. Let's go through it really quickly. Uh, obviously, Alex Atkins was most recently promoted uh, from uh, just offensive line coach to uh, offensive coordinator, and he'll get a substantial raise because of it. You can read the story on warchant.com that Ira wrote. Um, you know, obviously, this is a, a guy that uh, I want to talk about for a second because he is a guy that within the industry is extremely well thought of and is being pursued and will be, I think, annually. I think he's that kind of up and coming coach um, and and he'll be pursued. And his name is already thrown out every time an offensive coordinator's job or an offensive line coach's job is brought up, let's say, in the SEC like it was in Georgia. So it's good to find out that he'll be making $850,000 a year. He was scheduled to make $575,000. That is a substantial raise. It also shows a level of commitment from Florida State University on a couple of levels. First of all, it lets you know that uh, they have money and they're willing to spend it on valued coaches, right? That's good. Got to have that to compete. Number two, it lets you know that they know they have a very good coach in their midst. You got to give Coach Norvell credit because think about where he plucked this man from. It was his observation that that guy, Coach Atkins, is doing a really good job at a very small place. And someday, if I get the chance, I'd like to hire that guy. And he did. And it's worked out well. And we've seen the improvements. And now he's going to get paid like it. So that's good news there. He also got an extension. So it will run through 2024. He's the highest paid assistant coach on the staff. He gets paid more than Adam Fuller, who's making $800,000 a year as an aside. Now, Randy Shannon's contract stood out to me, Tom, too. He's scheduled to make $600,000 each of the next two seasons. Uh, I'm not in love with that. Let's hope 
that what happens there is that Randy Shannon not only improves and stabilizes this defense to some level, but he's got to make a huge impact in South Florida and recruiting to me. I, I, that's what I need to see. I feel like in large part, that's why you hired him. Let's hope we see significant bumps in our successful attempts to lure athletes from South Florida. Tony Tokars, who I interviewed earlier this week, making $300,000 annually. It's a two-year deal. It's uh He's, he's in the deep end of the pool now, and they're they're paying him like a guy that they want to see prove it, and that's fine. Uh, Coach Odell Hagens um, scheduled to get a bit of a bump. He'll go from five hundred and fifty thousand to six hundred thousand. Not a significant bump there. Got a two year extension. That's largely about recruiting uh, because there are whispers uh, annually these days that he's ready to retire. If you're recruiting defensive linemen, they need to know that uh, you're in it for the long term. And even if you're not, you're going to get that extension. So it looks like that you are. Now, here's what I thought was interesting. Uh, Ron Dugans uh, will not get a raise at all. Uh, he got a one year extension, uh, $450,000, what he was making last year. It's what he's going to make this year. And there's a whole lot of two fingers to my eyes, two fingers back to you. I don't think it's any secret. They tried to replace him. They tried to find somebody to come in here and replace him and they couldn't find him. They couldn't get him. They couldn't get a yes. A couple of guys that they looked at one guy took a Carolina job. Another guy, you know, allegedly was, was offered the job, uh, turned it down. We talked about this on yesterday's show that I alluded to in the first segment. Uh, that has a lot to do with people looking um, at this situation at Florida State and not trusting that if they were to commit to taking a job here, that their boss is going to be around for a while. And so, guys, uh, whether or not they are accurate or not, if, they, if the perception is things are on rocky ground there, they'd rather not take that job. People don't like to have to move every couple of years. So, um I get it. I get it. But it does reveal when these raises and extensions or lack thereof, who they value, uh, who they're excited about and who they're saying, yeah, you're lucky to have a job. Yeah, there's a ton to unpack there. I mean, uh, Alex Atkins being the highest paid assistant is an excellent move. I think if this offensive line continues to improve again this year, you might do it again next offseason. Oh, they're going to have to go raise every year because he's going to be sought after. And that's fine. That's fine if he continues to show what he already has shown. And it's always a show and prove business in coaching. You don't, you know, marry yourself to the idea of a coach and then there's a bad season and you say, well, you know, you need to stick to the plan. You need to stay to the standard. And if he continues to develop this O line and he also obviously is going to be more than pitching in an offensive coordinators meetings and game planning meetings. Well, then more power to him and more money to him, please. Uh, Tokars, um, yeah, good for you that he got the, the deal. That was a great interview earlier in the week. He should have dropped us a super chat, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it makes sense to me that Odell got the bump to six because you can't pay Odell less than Randy Shannon. That would be crazy. You at least have to pay them equally, if not give Odell Hagens a couple bucks more. The Randy Shannon thing is interesting to me. I think there's a couple of dynamics at play here. Number one, this kind of indicates to me how much Adam Fuller values Randy Shannon. I think there is a genuine like between the two of them, and there's a synergy between the two of them. You would uh, you would hear it, and you know this as well as I do, better than I do because you've done it for longer, but when we have those meetings about how a coach sounds or presents when certain questions are asked, we did it with Jimbo back in the day, and he was a terrible poker player, but the subtext during an answer tells you the truth. Anytime Adam Fuller is asked about Randy Shannon, he seems to be genuinely happy to have that mind on the staff in the defensive meetings and helping advance the cause for the defense. So I don't think you'd be paying Randy Shannon that kind of money unless there was true synergy there. And of course, wink, wink, nod, nod. It might be a backup plan in case you need to make a replacement or make a, a change. But still, I like the balance there between those two. 
the Ron Dugans thing with inflation the way it is, man, he got a demotion. I mean, that, that's less money. That's a lot less money. So we'll see. You could cover that, though, with Mike Norvell's expertise at the receiver position. And I noted every time that it was brought up to these receiving transfers that came in this offseason, why did you come here? Well, they mentioned Ron Dugans, but they talked about Mike Norvell a lot. Yeah, Norvell as a former receiver can cover for that if you do have to make a change after this season. It's like Nick Saban coaching defensive backs. You might have a defensive backs coach in title in Alabama. That's Nick Saban's position. Jimbo with quarterbacks here. That was his position. You already knew that that was maybe a figurehead slash recruiting position. Well, Coach Dugans, it is time to recruit. And we love you. You're an old forever. But this is a, a clear message that now or never, now or never. Yeah, it's past time. He, he has to have uh, an unbelievable year or he's going to get fired. They tried to basically move on from him. We, we, we just we can call it for what it is. I, I, I'm i um, like a lot of the fans. Um, listen, I, I've got nothing personal against Ron Dugan, so this is not a personal attack. And I loved him as a player, and he is an old, like you said, makes it harder to criticize, but I'm not going to not criticize. Uh, he's not done a good job. He just has. So they, they, they have to get something in recruiting out of him because, like you noted, and I think correctly so, Mike Norvell will, will coach up these receivers and you see him, we go to the practices. He's very active in doing so. Uh, so this is in, in essence, a position of recruiting and Ron didn't get us anybody. So what is it you say you do here? Uh, that's the uh, frustration. So we'll see. The staff's got to get better long-term this again, every time we have a conversation about this football team and about this spring practice, about this fall, about this schedule, about this team, we, we, we circle back because invariably the talking points end up illuminating just what a critical season this is because every single time we go, well, you know, this guy's doing this and this guy's this, and maybe this team's a little better here. Maybe they're a little worse here. And then at the end of the conversation, I find myself thinking, Jesus, what an important year this is because there's so many questions to answer and so much pressure on this group. And this is a make or break season, period. It just is. If they don't perform well, if they're average to below average, he's a dead man walking. All of them. It's just in my mind, that's and I'm talking about, obviously, uh, job status. I mean, I don't, I don't have to clarify that. I mean, but it, that that's that's where we're at. There's just no getting around it. I mean, I believe that's where we're at. Let's say they go seven and five and they miss two 38 yard field goals. And that's what put him at seven and five. And uh, and you see the games and they play. Does that do anything for you? Well, seeing the games, my old saying, you know, my old saying, wins and losses happen for a reason. I can sit here all day long and tell you why we're going to go eight and four or six and six or whatever. And then the season plays out and it doesn't look the way that I thought it would. If I had told you a year ago we're going to go five and seven and that I'd be all right with that because the losses would be against teams that were better than us, you'd be like, okay. But then we go five and seven and one of the losses is Jacksonville State. <laughs> You're not as okay with that. So they happen for a reason. Buddy, I, I can still I will I will never not be able to, even if we climb to the top, to yep. that apex, these two FSU terms, we climb to the apex. I will never not hear my feet on the steps up to my office here after West Durham calls that touchdown play and, and there's no flags on the field. I'll never not hear that. And then remember signing <laughs> out with Gina going. All right, Gene, let's go. It's well, I, I'll, never, I'll, oh. never forget, I'll never forget oh. Bryce Cameron, my son, standing in the kitchen. He'd come out from his room where he had been playing a video game online with one of his best friends. He came out to – I'll never forget. He came out to get a corn muffin. He loves corn muffins. Uh, he and I are not alike in that regard. He does? He loves them. Ooh. I buy. I have to buy a corn muffin from Publix once a week because he devours them. And I, I don't care anything about corn muffins, but they I must wish, think in Publix that I love them. 
I wish I could hit the little sweet button. Woo! <laughs> he loves them. But so he walks out to get him a corn muffin. And every time he'd come out from his room to get a drink or whatever, he would like, because he didn't want to watch the Jacksonville State game. He's like, it's a nothing game, Dad. And so I was watching it here at the house. I wasn't going to go to the Jacksonville State game. So I'm here at the house relaxing. I'd had one tasty beverage. I was totally locked in my right mind watching the game. And as you know, watching that game was maddening enough. So as each series would go by and quarter would go by, the level of anger was mounting. I, I could tell right away that they, they hadn't taken the game serious with the play calling and the offensive sets. I could tell they were treating it like an experiment, like a, like, you know, a scrimmage of sorts against the second team. And as the game went along and it remained close, I was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. So we arrive at that final moment and I'm thinking we're going to win the game, but boy, oh boy, am I going to light into this group on Monday? I cannot believe that we had to win this game this way. So the ball goes in the air Bryce is walking out of the kitchen, holding the corn muffin in his hand. He asks me the score. I say, hold on, this is the final play of the game. He goes, oh, walks into the room to watch the final play of the game, sees the catch. We all do. We watch as it transpires, and we're all in you know, shock, dismay, forewarned as we are. Kid runs into the end zone. I realize we just lost the game on, in essence, a play, not even a Hail Mary, just a run play. They just yeah. ran the play because they saw – the evidence that it would be open on the play before. And they so, missed it. Yeah. yeah, they missed it. So nonetheless, there it is. And Bryce looks at me because, you know, he's sort of indifferent. He loves Florida State, but he's not as invested as we are. He looks to my reaction. And I knew in this moment that I needed to set a good example because inside there was an inferno raging. I wanted to throw the controller off the wall. I wanted to kick something. I wanted to walk outside and scream to the heavens. Why has thou forsaken me? I wanted to do all of those things, but instead I just calmly looked at the screen in silence and did the Christian Bale Kermit nod. That's what I did. I just went, mm, okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. There it is. We just, that, just happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I turned off the TV. I stood up. I calmly put the controller down. <laughs> that's, that's you inside. That's internal. Yeah, that's me inside. Yeah. I stood up. I put the controller down. I turned off the lights. I turned off the television. I calmly walked to the back. Uh, we have a divider. So I closed the divider, made sure all the doors were locked, went into the bedroom. Christy said, did we win? I said, no. I turned off my light by the bed, laid my head on the pillow, and went to sleep. I laid there <laughs> all in one motion, Tom. Yep. I didn't tune into your post-game show on War Chant TV. I'm glad I, you didn't. I, I couldn't bear to do it. The next morning, I got up. I had a big glass of water and a cup of coffee, and then I pulled it up because I couldn't wait to see how you and Gene had to navigate those waters because I couldn't think to myself that that could be anything other than hostile. And you guys did a very good job, and I was impressed, and I just laughed and thought, boy, Monday's going to be fun. My God. Well yeah. Sorry about that trek down memory lane, but that's why, folks, this year is a very important year <laughs> for this coaching staff to bring it full circle. It's of vital importance that we not have moments like that anymore and that we win the games we're supposed to win. And, you know, occasionally 
win a game where you're a slight underdog, which we did last year. So let's graduate. Let's let's find a way and give us more snapshots in our brain of better times to come and better things to reflect on as opposed to what happened last year. It's the Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. The Jeff Cameron Show is sponsored by the legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans. Great rates, cutting-edge technology, and transparent communication is the recipe for a five-star mortgage experience at fsuhomeloans.com. It's Friday, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. This hour recorded, next hour live. Had to record today's first hour so that we could be at the football luncheon for Florida State Spring Football and hear from Mike Norvell, talk to the coaches. Always fun to do that. We're doing that. Um, you know, we're doing that again today. So we had to get in here this morning, do this first hour, and then we will be live next hour. We do that for FCC purposes to let you know this hour is in the can. But uh, nonetheless, it's pretty much what we'd be talking about had we been live. Uh, spring previews, position previews, thoughts, mindsets as we go into camp, what we're looking forward to guys that uh, we're excited to see, question marks around segment groups, all that stuff is what we'd be talking about anyhow. So uh, not much difference uh, in the way of show preparation and performance today. Uh, this is what we would have done. A lot of pressure on uh, – we were talking about the team under a lot of pressure and how big a season this is. I think specifically, Tom, if I were going to look at a – and we already talked about Ron Dugans. I don't want to go back and relitigate that. But I think there's a lot of pressure on Adam Fuller. And there's a seriousness to him. And I talk, you know, obviously I had him on and we talked and he wasn't about the jokes early on. He, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to have fun with me there. He wanted to get straight to it. And that's fine. That's fine. I know coach Fuller and uh, I like him. I, I like coach Fuller a lot. He's a joy to talk to smart man. Yes. Uh, nice guy. Uh, I think he understands the game of football. There's no question about that. I have said before that the learning curve for me over the course of many years now covering this program, talking about college football, big picture or otherwise, what I've learned the most about is that in my youth, I assumed certain guys ascended to certain positions and sometimes inexplicably. I am wrong about that. You cannot arrive at a Florida State or any big-time college football program and do so without an intimate understanding of the concepts, schemes, and games of which you coach, right? There's no chance that that can happen. Where you fail isn't your lack of knowledge. It's never your lack of knowledge. I used to think it was. I used to think certain coaches, you know, in my 20s, I would refer to certain coaches and think, well, this guy's an idiot. Eh, he's not. He may be in other ways. Go ahead. He, even a certain offensive coordinator before I got here in 2006. He should have never been named offensive coordinator, but I dare say that if you sat down on a whiteboard with Jeff Bowden, he could explain football to you. I do think that was true. I just don't think he did a good job of calling plays. I don't think he did a good job of ever finding a rhythm. I don't think he did a good job of, 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 of putting his players in a position to succeed. And that's really what happens, by the way. It's lost in translation. Your knowledge of the game and ability to express those concepts and schemes on a whiteboard or in talking points, if you're at this level, you can do that sufficiently. You could you could walk into a room and be asked a number of questions about how a scheme works against certain looks, and you would be able to answer that, and you'd be able to draw it up, and you'd be able to talk about why that works or the origins of it, the history of the game. All these guys know that stuff. 
They're not morons. They know the game. But it doesn't necessarily make you a great football guy. It doesn't necessarily make you a good football coach. I dare say that you and I both, more than the average bear, have a great understanding of football, the X's and O's of football. Why, what's what? We understand that. I don't know if we'd be great football coaches or not. I have coached some. I think I was a pretty good coach, and I think I would have loved to have done it, uh, although the hours were just too much, and so it worked out. But but I don't know. I've never did it at a high level. I never did it in college, certainly. So what I would tell you is this. Adam Fuller knows football. There is no question about that. I have had long conversations with Coach Fuller on and off the record, and it's fun to talk football with him. That guy will break things down. I mean, in, in the, the details, the minute details, all of it, it's there. But clearly, to this point, they have not done a good job. That defensive staff, have not. they have not done a good job. Now, there are individual groups that have played better than others, so you say, well, I don't blame this guy as much as I blame that guy, or we need better players for this to be executed. All of that's true, all of that's fine, and we can nitpick all of those things. But the bottom line is the defensive performance in the short time that Adam Fuller and Mike Norvell have been here has not been great. It just has not been great. Uh, they got better. They got a lot better in the second half last year, and that portends, I think, of good things. But – I understand the fans that are sitting back going, mm, I don't know, man. I don't know if this guy is the guy. Like, if you're sitting around thinking that, that's fair. That's completely fair. It's a big year for Adam Fuller. They got to they gotta be better. This group has to be better, and they have to be better from Jump Street, Tom, because last year it's nice yep. to say they got better in the second half of the season, second half of the Louisville game on. You want to say they were a lot better. Great. Good. What happened before that? We were 0-4. I mean, come on, man. So that's, yeah, eight and a half games of good performance, and, and they did get better. Like, you look at Kalen Deloach as one example of somebody who developed last year and oh, got a better. a lot, a lot, yeah. Uh, Jamie Robinson found a home, right? Yeah. And Amarian Cooper is one of the few, like, true Adam Fuller recruits uh, early in his tenure here at Florida State, and that's somebody who made it a big impact, and he's somebody that we're counting on to make an even bigger impact moving forward. I think – I think if you uh, gave last year a grade for Adam Fuller and the defense, it would be C plus to B somewhere in there, depending upon how how you want to grade it and how how strict you want to be. And he is like the, uh, he is like a strict teacher in high school. That's what he reminds me of. There are certain days where you don't try the teacher, and that was the beginning of the interview the other day where he's like, "I'm not in the mood today." And yeah, then there are other days where you know he's as gregarious as anybody, but you're always going to learn, and there's always going to be a, a certain process. To me, I'd grade him B- minus or a B because there isn't a whole lot to work with here. Last year at defensive end, there was a ton to work with, but in the back end, they did get more organized. They did get better. Agreed that if they screw up again, though, and there is another Jacksonville State moment or a third and 20 where you call a blitz and it doesn't make any a lick of sense against Notre Dame, like these situational calls where you go, what? How in the world in that situation do you send six or seven? It makes literally no sense just given the moment. If those types of moments prove to be too big again this year in more than a game, and maybe that's generous, maybe it only happens one time, then I agree. Then you use the past failures to create a list and say this isn't good enough to get it done. But I'm willing to be an optimist because I saw much greater organization as the year went on. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, he, clearly, they had guys who were talented enough to lead the way, but they weren't committed enough in the room, and Fuller said, the hell with it. I, I mean, you're going to cost me my job. I don't care that you can jump out of the gym, or I don't care that you're the most athletically gifted guy in the room. We need players who are going to be where I expect them to be. 
Yeah. And that's what that's where, again, I, I do have a little bit more optimism for him because what I saw looked like a defense that was, as you asked in the previous coordinated. Year, it's coordinated. That was your number one thing. Are you coordinated? I thought they were by the end of the season, and I don't think there was any doubt about that. Yeah, I think the questions I was asking uh, at the end of the previous year were correct. I, I, I get things wrong, and I get things right. I got that right. I was telling everybody, the problem with this defense is they're not coordinated. It's by definition your job. <laughs> they're not coordinated at all. One hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing. The front end doesn't know what the back end's doing, and vice versa. You can see it all the time. That didn't happen last year, especially in the second half of the season. They were coordinated. Uh, the calls synced, right? They knew, yeah, that it all worked. So that's true. And they are trending in the right direction in that regard, and they've upgraded some talent. And I think that, you know, yesterday when we did the uh, defensive back preview, Ira brought up, and he's right, and I'm excited about it, that there's some guys out there that are going to try to make a play on the football. And they can do it in coordination with what's happening elsewhere. I'll tell you what, that leads to game-changing moments. That leads to pick sixes. That leads to uh, short fields. And that leads to you having an opportunity to create big plays. And so uh, let's hope, and I'm excited about it. I, I hope they do. Um, if, they, if they are that, if they are upper echelon defensively in the ACC and they are improved on the offensive line, and we think they are, and if they get something from two to three receivers in the way of consistency. Yeah, man. They, yep. Then then you could top out and, and win eight games. You really could. Well, in the uh, 80 seconds that we have left here, yeah, I'll go back to something I brought up earlier, which is who's that second guy going to be on the defensive line that you can game around? I remember there was a, there weren't too many wrinkles that Adam Fuller needed to bring right, when it came to pressures because yeah. you're going to yeah. get it with your front four. And that's the that's a defensive coordinator's like biggest Green. hope. Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, I can play with the seven in the back end and create all kinds of weirdness for the quarterback because I don't have to worry about the pressure. Well, one of those sets he used on the defensive line was a game where he lined Keir Thomas and Jermaine Johnson next to each other. Remember that? It was on uh, the right side of the offensive line, typically, that you would see that. And they'd run all kinds of crazy twists and stuff, and, and that would free up some big plays to be made in the backfield. Well, who is that guy going to be beyond Jared Verse? Is it Dennis Briggs? Are you going to get him down in weight enough that he can make a play or two like that? Is it going to be one of the young guys like a Peyton or a Turner? Like, Who is that second player? Is it Leonard Warner? Because he's got the agility on a third and obvious. That's what I'm interested to see here because that can change the course of everything. Yeah, and we do have to go, but I, I may be in the minority here. I'm glad Leonard Warner came back. I think he can play, uh, and he's not great. Uh, don't, don't get me wrong; I'm not trying to describe some sort of you know game-changing difference maker on the defense here in, in Leonard Warner. But man, he's experienced. He understands what they're trying to do. He's huge, by the way. I, you saw him out there the other day. That's a big kid, man. He's looking big. Um, so I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we'll have a good time with it. Hour number two forthcoming. It will be live. Stay with us, Jeff Cameron Show, ninety-three-three Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. <laughs> 